Welcome back, everyone, to session three of our podcast, but actually session two of building a classroom community. So we've discussed the foundations of SEL, what that means and its implications in education, and we've started to take a path towards classroom community that, as we progress, is just going to build upon itself and add layers because it really is a complicated task and mm -hmm. something that takes a real conscious effort to achieve. Right. Uh, so I'm really glad to be back here with Tom and to talk about what the next steps in classroom community are. Mike, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for this opportunity. Of course. So when we began to look at building a classroom community, the first theoretical construct we looked at was the were the predictable stages of development. Just like you and I as individuals and your new baby, Mackenzie, ha we have predictable stages of human development. So too in our classroom, our, any group setting, any team setting, any group of people that have a common goal, a common mission. So in our classroom, it's that common goal in, is teaching and learning. Uh, Dr. Brene Brown in her research makes it infinitely clear. Human beings are hardwired. Our brains are connected to each other. We are hardwired for relationship. We're hardwired for connection. We, in fact, cannot survive without connection. So today I want to chat with you and dialogue back and forth with you about levels of relationship. I have found that to help people move through the predictable stages of a team or a classroom's evolution together, we need to help them get closer together. So imagine, if you will, these concentric circles. And on the outermost level of those concentric circles is what I would call the anyone level of relationship. This is information that anybody knows about anybody else. So if I stop in Wawa, or if I stop to get gas, or I stop at the convenience store, the exchange is maybe pleasant, but we really don't know anything about each other. So we can make that exchange and leave two happy human beings for a brief moment in time, but we can't solve problems together. We can't fix anything together. We can't teach and learn together. We can't evolve socially and emotionally together. We need to get a little bit closer. How do we do that? Well, back in the, in the seventies, when I was studying psychology, we, the term was self-disclosure. So as a teacher, I want to let, I want to let my children know this is a safe place and to establish emotional safety as well as physical safety and to establish a trusting relationship. And please make sure we come back to that because that concept is critical, a trusting relationship. Then I need to self-disclose. I need to be the role model of social emotional learning, sharing a little bit about who I am as a human being, not just my content area. So I move from that any one level we don't know anything about each other, teacher and student, and also student to student, to at least that of an acquaintance. So I'm going to need your help for this to, to really anchor this idea. Can you help me by sharing with me and our listeners, what do you have with acquaintances, not your friends, your acquaintances, folks that you're not going to invite over your house, Folks are going to be nice to and cordial to, but they're not that close to you. They're not in that friend circle. They're in the acquaintance circle. Can we talk a little bit about what that looks like for you, those people? Absolutely. So I don't know if it's the best term for it, but 
I think of that more as forced interaction. Okay. So the acquaintance are those people that I'm through some way or another put into interactions with. But I don't necessarily have the same investment that I would with other people. So I have um, interactions with them, not necessarily on a daily basis or even weekly, but, you know, it's reoccurring. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some commonality, a common thread between us, Mm -hmm. some kind of small shared goal or objective, because I keep running into these people, Mm -hmm. whether it's at a place I like to frequent or someone within my school building. Mm -hmm. So there's the beginnings of a connection, but I don't have the buy-in with that person. And our interactions are very limited. And what I'm willing to share with them, what I'm limited or what I'm willing to do with them Mm -hmm. is is very restricted Mm -hmm. as opposed to other people. Excellent. Thank you for that. And I, I I would agree with those ideas. The work setting is one of the primary settings for that. So imagine our audience, almost all of us that are listening to this, we're educators, we're in human services, we're in servant leadership roles. So and you said we're forced into that role. We all have a, a contract with a school system, for example, and we have a job to perform. That job to perform, however, involves human beings from hello to goodbye from the time we all enter this building to the time we exit that building and because it involves human beings to do the job well the teaching and learning the counseling the special education the infinite number of interventions the contacts with parents all those relational dynamics we need to get a little closer together we need to know more about each other than those acquaintances you just so very well described. So the next level of relationship that all of our work invites people to, and I hope brings people to, is what we recall the, we've called the friend-like level. So in the work de- setting, I don't need to be your friend outside of work. But when we're working together on this common goal, this common mission, teaching and learning, we need to treat each other like friends treat each other. So, for example, trust. Friends trust each other, yes? Yes. So the trusting relationship we now know, if trust is the primary motivator and the primary guiding force in a school system, the research out of the public schools in Chicago say 70% of the children that feel that they are in trusting relationships will in fact be more, excuse me, that's, that's, poor, that's poor grammar, will be better learners and more successful out in the world. Over 70% of them will be more successful and better academic learners simply because they feel they're in a trusting relationship. So imagine for a minute what goes into that. Think about all that, you're, all that you've done in your, your most important relationships. For me, when I think about friendships, I think about trust. I think about commitment. I think about integrity. That I am behaving in the same way I speak. Uh, I, I think about dependability. I think about responsibility. I think about honoring someone. I wouldn't speak ill about anybody when they're not present. And if I had feedback to give them, it would be constructive and it would be based on specific, descriptive, observable behavioral information. 
So I had an experience a few years ago that really brought home how important this friendship level is to me. I, I had been invited by uh, Chester County Intermediate Unit to do an administrative retreat with all their administrators. And you've worked on our ropes courses. So they, they said, we really want you to challenge us. I said, okay, what do you have in mind? I said, let's go to the ropes course in Devon and we'll do low ropes and we'll do high ropes. And our belief is that we'll come closer together. And I said, well, I think that really is possible. I think that can happen. So we're walking down the ropes course from the parking lot and a woman that had been Ashley's assistant principal in the child development center in Coatesville, where she went to school from five to 21 years old, came up and said, how's Sandra? And I said, she's great. I said, when Sandra's great, we're all great. And she said, how's Ashley? And I said, she's been really, really healthy. Thank you so much. And then she said something I didn't understand. She said, when you get home tonight, give Sandra a hug and say, thank you. I said, yeah, I will. I always do that, but why? She said, you see, Ashley's the last one. Jessica, who had been Ashley's classmate from five years old to 21 years old, just passed away in June. Ashley's the last one left. And it still didn't hit me. And later on, I got it as I saw tears in her eyes. My daughter's the last child alive that was in the severe and profoundly retarded class, started at five and lasted till 21. And as I went home and gave my wife a hug and told her, thank you, I reflected on why my daughter's alive. My daughter's alive because of my wife. And that core value that Sandra has, that she is so brilliant at, commitment. I wear this wedding ring that you see and that I'm proud to show anyone. And it, it, it comes apart, as you know. And if there's a camera here, folks could see that it's in three pieces. And you can take it apart and put it back together so it looks like two different rings. And Sandra designed these. And we have three children that... Certainly wasn't planned that we'd have three children and three rings to symbolize that. But her commitment is what drives my life. It what anchors my service across North America. Sandra's commitment to our daughter brings me to what I know is the essential relationship for everyone to be successful. So my wife is in her late 60s, as am I. Our daughter's 34 years old. Perspective. My wife has changed diapers for 34 years. Now Mackenzie is about a month old now. Yeah, a little over four weeks. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're changing some diapers? Quite a few. Okay. Pitching in. Right. <laughs> Now, Ashley doesn't need that as much as Mackenzie does right now. But two to three times a day, my wife for 34 years has been changing diapers. Yeah, that's a responsibility that I don't think any mother could ever anticipate. No one can anticipate it. But I truly believe it's only because of that unconditional loving commitment 
that my daughter's alive. My spiritual beliefs also tell me God's grace is a huge part of that. But I get to witness it. I get to witness God's grace. I get to witness it in my daughter's life, in her every breath. I see it in my wife every day. And there is not a day, Mike, you know my wife, there is not a day. She's not smiling. She's not laughing. She's not singing Disney tunes. And it's an hour of medicine every morning. It's medicine at lunch. It's medicine at dinner. And it's another hour medicine and diapering at the end of the night. That's on a good day. That's no illness. That's no need of the five machines that are in our house to keep her alive. So wherever I speak, I speak about Sandra, I speak about Ashley, I reference this ring and the, the core value of commitment, friendships, friend-like relationships in our school, they must be connected by core values. So the critical conversation amongst faculty is what are our core values? The critical conversation around children, you're an elementary educator. So certainly elementary school, middle school, high school, and beyond, what are our core values? In a time where I really believe our essential values are challenged in America, are those core values of commitment and integrity and respect for everyone, respect for every life, Respect for all humanity, no matter the religion, no matter the race, no matter the difference, no matter the economics. Those core values must be talked about as a major professional development discussion or we will not be successful. So, so my little theory here is I need to come from, I don't know you at all, anyone level. I need to get a little bit closer, acquaintances, and we talked about that and you described that beautifully to now this friend-like level. And that common ground is a discussion around our core values. And what I find, whenever I have that discussion, wherever I have that discussion, in this country, in North America, it results in the same. People say, I just felt inspired talking to my friend for five minutes. I, I feel moved. I feel connected. Uh, I feel passionate. I feel enthusiastic. I feel loved. So I, I hear that from, from participants all over the country. And then I reflect on a piece of research by Dr. Karen Osterman at Hofstra University, who's been studying us for 30, 35 years now. Her work is heavily in the bullying, harassment, hazing area. Her, her, her work is heavily in the relational area, particularly how young women treat each other, but now it's expanded. And the essence of our research comes to one statement. The more I know about you, the less likely to ever think of harming you. The answer to bullying, harassment, hazing, cyberbullying, addictions, mental health issues, violence, the answer is in closing the human gap. We must become known. I've been talking a long time. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so some things I wanted to touch on with what you've been saying, you listed a lot of characteristics of what that friend-like stage looks like. Yes. And 
as much as this talk is uh, more compacted and we're not exploring every possible avenue, every one of those things that you mentioned takes time to build yes. and a moment to shatter. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think it's worth, I think it's worth just stating that because you don't want to gloss over the fact that these things take time and we can ruin it really easily. Mm-hmm. And it's a long road to get back to that yeah. because I know a lot of educators probably feel the same way I do where we want to, we want to be able to perceptualize things as a race. There are steps to it. There's mm-hmm. a finish line. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize always that these circles that you've been talking about and these 11 levels of relationship come down to an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. And we move backwards and we move forwards. I know for me, the moment I realized that adding another student into my classroom takes us all backwards. Yes. Because suddenly our community is entirely different because of one person, whether we're adding someone or losing someone, and that I can't expect my students to uh, interact at the same level that they did mm-hmm. before and that I have to relay groundwork to make that happen again. Yep. yep. Um, and I think that is an essential part of our mindset that mm-hmm. we need to have. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we're going to be overwhelmed by the frustration of how difficult this can be mm-hmm. and how conscious of a decision it needs mm-hmm. to be. What you just said is brilliant and essential. This whole idea that all those characteristics that we've been dialoguing about take a long time to build. Absolutely right. They do. Trust takes a long time to build. Character takes a long time to build. Commitment takes a long time to build. And as you said, can be destroyed in an instant. So every moment of our lives, and it's not a race. That's one of the great myths. It's not a race. I'm not making widgets. I'm not making something on an assembly line. The job of education is to make human beings. Not human beings, not human test takers, not human scores, human beings. That is a lifetime job. And, And we have the sacred task of holding the youngest in our hands and holding their hearts and them holding our hearts. There's a man that I really, really admire. He's one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. His name is Bill Wilson. And he's buried in a place called East Dorset, Vermont. And I've been to the graveyard and I've been to his grave. And on this, so this is one of the men who has, who has brought healing and sobriety and health to millions across planet Earth. On, on his gravestone, are written these words. There were moments in his life and he gave his life to those moments. You are right. We have to be that conscious. We have to be that mindful. We have to be that aware and alert. The smallest word, the the movement of our head or eyes can make or break a day for a child. The welcoming handshake, the smile at the door of the classroom can make or break a day. It can make or break the lessons they get or don't get. I I don't know that I'll remember everything, but there's a a beautiful passage by Haim Gannat and educators from the 50s and the 60s. He says, I've come to the frightening conclusion that I am the decisive element in the classroom. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. 
It's my daily mood that makes the weather. As a teacher, I I possess a tremendous power. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can hurt, humiliate, humor, and heal. In all situations, it is my response that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated and a child's life humanized or dehumanized. You said it every moment. Every moment we have the power to humanize or dehumanize. That's the task of education. That's what moving closer in these levels of relationship do for us. Sometimes in schools, we're blessed to come to two deeper levels. My, my core belief is if we come to the level you and I have just talked about, we've made it. We've been successful. Bring our faculty there. Bring our classrooms there. Bring our school buildings there. I also have this really, really core belief we can bring whole school districts there. And I've had the privilege of working with courageous administrators who believe that too, and we're doing it. The next level is that of an intimate. So these are your deepest, closest friendships. I imagine Amanda for you, Sandra for me. And if we have one or two of them in our life, that's enough. This is not the more the merrier. (laughs) Deeper, deeper, more trusting deeper commitment, lifetime commitment. Those things that we put our body, our soul, our heart, our mind, and our spirit into every day. And when we, get, when we screw up, we're forgiven and we're forgiving. So those are the deepest friendships, what we choose to call the intimate friendships. And then there's this center circle I call it the relationship with self. This is the stuff that even I don't know about me until I discover it through the living of life. Through the, I hope, going slow enough and being mindful enough and taking reflection time at the end of the day saying, ah, so that's why I do what I do. That's why I react that way. And what we now know about mindfulness principles, everybody needs that time. So as we talk about levels of relationship, those are the things I'm passionate about. Those are the things we're teaching in our graduate and master's degree courses. And those are the things that we're really so blessed to have school districts working with us on now. Well, thank you for weighing in those on those things for me. Thanks, Michael. It's um, a pleasure. As always, I can't say enough how... how um, how special it is to have this time Me too. and for us to have these conversations. I love um, doing this. Thank you for making this happen. Love that. So uh, again, if anyone has any questions after listening to this, please reach out to us. Otherwise, we will be back soon with part three of Building a Classroom Community. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Tom.